Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Jason, and today we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. If you want to pull that up in your Bible or on your smartphone, Matthew 9, 18 through 26, using the English Standard Version, as we continue in this message series, Unleash, and we're talking about unleashing the power and love of Jesus in our own lives, in our church, and through us into the world all around us that needs Jesus so desperately. Let me pray before we jump into the word. God, I thank you for being with us. I thank you that you are here right now. I thank you for the blessings that you have poured out on our lives. I pray that you will speak through your word to us today. Encourage us, give us new insights, new ideas, more resolve, Lord, to share you and encourage other people to try you for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do you do when you're trying to accomplish something and nothing seems to be working? Where do you turn? What's your uh, modus operandi for what you do when nothing is working? Or perhaps you're in a critical situation and you have to make a decision and every decision seems like a bad decision. When all else fails, what do you do? Well, I asked all of my Facebook friends to tell me what they would do. I posted a couple weeks ago, how would you complete this sentence? When all else fails, dot, dot, dot. And it got a number of very helpful answers. Many of my good Christian friends said, when all else fails, pray. Always a great idea. Uh, Some folks said, when all else fails, go back and read the instructions. I have found throughout my life that that is often a very good idea. Pastor Megan said, when all else fails, blame Pastor Jason. And she can get away with that for a few more months. She's new. Uh, Many people said, when all else fails, go to Taco Bell. And I have to say, that is often what I do when nothing seems to be working. Just go get a taco and everything will usually work out in the end. Well, in our scripture today, we're going to see two different people in completely desperate situations go to Jesus because everything is unraveling. Nothing is working. And as we do, we're going to see that Jesus meets them and helps them in beautiful ways. And he does far more abundantly beyond all they could ask or imagine. And this is going to apply to us in two ways. First, we need to know that when nothing is working, when all else fails in our lives, we can always go back to Jesus. And it doesn't matter if things have gotten so out of shape because we didn't go to Jesus earlier. Even then, in our desperation, we can always go back to Jesus for help. But this is also very applicable because we live in a world that is completely unraveling. People are more anxious than they've ever been. Nothing is working. People are having failing physical health, failing mental health. Financially, they're hurting. Motivationally, they they can't seem to get the motivation to, to do things. People don't even want to work. And we need to have the courage as Christians to be able to speak to people whose lives are not working and say, have you tried Jesus? Or you could always try Jesus. He works for me very well. And because people in their desperation might be more willing to try Jesus than they've ever been. They've tried everything else to make their lives work. And so we, you and I, need to be able to share with them the idea that maybe it's time to try Jesus for the first time.
Now, as we walk through this passage, we'll see six reasons that we should be very confident in inviting people, encouraging people to try Jesus when all else fails. And of course, these apply to us as well. So starting at verse 18, it says, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him. Now, Jesus is in Capernaum. He's been teaching. And if you remember, some people came to him and asked him while his disciples didn't fast. When John the Baptist's disciples fasted and the Pharisees fasted. And Jesus gives this teaching that it's very hard to pour new wine into old wineskins. Saying that people who are accustomed to doing things a certain way have a hard time receiving new things that God wants to do in their lives. And Pastor Magan unpacked that last week. But as he's doing this teaching, this man comes up. He's a ruler, it says in the book of Matthew. In the Gospels of Mark and Luke, we find out that his name is Jairus. And it says he's a synagogue leader. So he's a ruler or leader of the local synagogue. And as the administrative leader of the local synagogue, he would have had a number of different duties. He would have been responsible for taking care of the building, the facility where the synagogue meets. He would have been responsible for running the synagogue day school throughout the week, teaching the Torah to the young people. And he also would have been responsible for scheduling the rabbis to teach on the Sabbath. Now, commentators note that this man would have been employed by the very people who opposed Jesus the most. He would have been employed and held status with the Pharisees, scribes, and religious leaders, those who were the most threatened by Jesus. Now, if he would have gotten on the wrong side of those people, it could have cost him his standing and his livelihood. Yet he's desperate. His daughter has just died. We find out in the Gospel of Mark that she was only 12 years old. And so he, everything has failed. The thing most important to him is lost to him. And so in desperation, he goes and he kneels before this miracle-working, uh, poor uh, preacher, an exorcist, and begs for help. And Jesus goes with him. So we see the first reason that we should tell people to try Jesus when all else fails is because Jesus holds no grudges. What do you do or what would you do if an enemy, someone who'd been opposing you, came and asked you for help? Would you help them? Jesus did. He didn't hold it against him, what his former views had been. Jesus went with him to help. And Jesus is like this. He doesn't hold grudges. When a desperate person comes to him, he doesn't hold their former animosity toward him against them. And this is important. You know, there are so many people in, in our church, in our community, who feel unworthy of getting help from Jesus. They feel unworthy of getting great blessings from the Holy Spirit or new spiritual gifts because they feel like they're not good enough, because they feel like they've done bad things in the past, or they didn't do good things they should have done, or they don't have a good track record attending church. Well, here's what we learn, is that Jesus doesn't hold that against us. If in our desperation, we come to him and earnestly ask for help, he responds to that moment's reaching out to him. 
He holds no grudges. Now, sometimes it's not our enemies, but our kids or co-workers who ask us for help in their desperation. And it may be that we tried to help them in the past, but they weren't interested. But now they're in a mess and they come and they ask for our help. And sometimes you may have had people say to you, or you may have said to others, you got yourself into this mess. You can get yourself out of it. But Jesus is not like that. Yes, we all get ourselves into messes, and in our messes, Jesus is there. And if a person comes to him, no matter what they've done in the past, no one is worthy. He's just gracious and merciful. This is who he is. We should encourage people to try Jesus because he holds no grudges when we come to him. Second, we should tell people to try Jesus when all else fails because he is willing to enter into our chaos. I love the wording of verse 19. It says, and Jesus rose and followed him. Now, commentators note that this is the same language that is used in verse 9. When Jesus told Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him, it says, Matthew rose and followed him. Matthew left his tax booth and he went with Jesus on this new adventure. And here we see Jesus drop what he's doing and rise and follow Matthew, um, follow Jairus into the commotion and the chaos which is waiting at his house because of his daughter's death. And this is who Jesus is. Jesus is willing to enter into your chaos, no matter how deep it is. Jesus is willing to enter into your drama. He doesn't mind. He likes getting sucked in. You may be in a financial mess. You may be in an emotional mess. You may be in a mess with your marriage or relationship. You've done something really stupid and really messed things up. Jesus will enter into it. He will go with you into it, just like he did with Jairus. And we need people to know this. This is who our Jesus is. He doesn't mind. He likes getting sucked into the center of completely chaotic and dramatic events. He will go with you into it. So let's keep reading. Verse 20 says, And behold, a woman who has suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him. He's on his way to Jairus' house, and this woman comes up behind him. And it says, she touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, if I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. Now, this woman would have been as far from Jairus as she possibly could have been within the Jewish community. Jairus was a well-respected man. We even know his name. He comes up and kneels before Jesus. This woman has been bleeding for as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. Now, since she's got this discharge of blood, she would have had the status of unclean in the community. That means she couldn't be around other people. That means she wouldn't have even been allowed to attend synagogue. So as Jairus comes up and he kneels before him, she comes up behind him and touches the fringe of his garment. She can't even approach him within his visibility. She has got that status in the community. Now it's worse than than this. We read in Mark chapter 5 verse 26 that she had suffered under many physicians And it's been all she had and was no better, but rather grew worth. She was unclean, broke, and medically getting worse. And so she comes up, she touches the fringe of his garment. Now, in Mark's gospel, it says that when she did, power went out from Jesus. And he noticed the power went out. 
And that's what caused him to turn and address her. And he comments on her faith, how her faith resulted in his power being unleashed and her being made well. And when it says she was made well here, this is not just physical healing. This is talking about being made whole, being made well. She experienced spiritual restoration as well as physical restoration. So the third reason we see that we should encourage people to try Jesus when everything else fails is because Jesus is dripping with power. Jesus is dripping with power. He is oozing with power to heal people physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. In the past month, we've seen a couple people healed physically of sciatica pain right here in our church, in our sanctuary, through prayer, through reaching out to Jesus. And we've seen others experience the Holy Spirit in new ways in their life. We need to remember this. Jesus isn't just a great teacher. He isn't just our Savior who died on the cross to pay for our sins. He isn't just the one who defeated death by rising from the dead on our behalf. He isn't just the king who will come and conquer sin and death and evil forever and inaugurate the new heaven and the new earth. Right here, right now, he is dripping with power to help and bless people who turn to him. He is a bottomless cup of unfailing love and living water. And I believe that Jesus loves to dispense his power, especially to those who try him for the first time. When a sinner in desperation reaches out to him, feeling unworthy, but seeking his help for the first time, I believe he loves to make himself known through revelations of his power and his love so that they'll know that he's real, that he's caring for them, and that they can trust him and follow him all the days of their life. We should encourage people to try knowing that Jesus is dripping with power and loves to give it to people who reach out to him for the first time. And of course, there's always more power and more love for those who have been following a long time as well. We can always receive the help of his power and love in the present moment. Now, a fourth reason we should tell people to try Jesus when all else fails is because Jesus is responsive to faith. It says in verse 21, she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. That is a thought of faith. And he turned and saw her and said, take heart, your faith has made you well. The power of Jesus made her well and her faith laid hold of it. Faith is what causes people to reach out to Jesus. Faith is what causes people to pray. Faith is what causes people to just try him for the first time. Faith is what causes people to come forward and ask for prayer after a service. Faith is what causes people to come to church after a terrible week. Faith is also something that Jesus always takes note of and always responds to. We see this in the scriptures, that where there is little faith, we see little activity of God. But when faith is present, God is always responsive. And Jesus responds to her faith, and he'll respond to the faith of anyone who reaches out to him, seeking his touch. Let's finish the story. Verse 23 says, when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he's back on path to the ruler's house. This woman has been made well. Now he's going to the ruler's house. He saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion. And he said, go away, for this girl is not dead, but sleeping. 
And they laughed at him. But when he saw the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all that district. So when Jesus arrives at the home of Jairus, there's already quite a commotion, and the grieving is in full swing. Now, things had to happen pretty fast when someone died back in ancient Israel because they didn't have the embalming techniques that we have today. So a body that had recently uh, died uh, would begin to decompose and begin to smell very quickly. So because of this, there were people who were always on hand who were professional grievers, professional weepers. And when someone died, they would come and start weeping and crying at the person's house where the dead body was right away to get the grieving going. Not only that, there were flautists, flute players who would come and begin praying depressing background music, right? We got to get people in the mood to grieve because we don't have much time. And so the uh, people, the friends, the family would come to see the deceased person and they'd enter this room where people were wailing and crying and calling out the name of the dead person because they'd lost her and other people are playing flute. It's just quite a situation. And there's this ancient Jewish document called the Talmud, which says even the poorest man in Israel must provide at least two wailing women and one flautist if his wife dies. So Jesus gets to this house where this 12-year-old's body is lying. And there's wailing and sad music from the professionals. And he says to them, you can go away because this girl is not dead but sleeping. Now it's interesting because they're professionals, they're not really emotionally engaged. So they stop crying and they start laughing at Jesus. Kind of a sad commentary, right? Not very professional, for sure. But Jesus gets them to leave, and then he goes. He takes the girl by the hand, and she comes back to life. The Spirit re-enters her body, and she's reunited with her father. Jesus does the miracle. And this is the two final reasons that people should try Jesus when all else fails. Number five, because Jesus reverses death and number six, because Jesus reunites people. This is one of the several places in the New Testament that demonstrates that Jesus has power even over death. In chapter 8, we see Matthew establishing that Jesus has power over demons and Satan. He has power over sickness, over death, uh, um, sickness, over illness. He has power over nature. He comes to storm. He has power over sin. He forgives a man. And here we see that Jesus even has power over death. And him bringing this girl back to life would foreshadow how he would conquer death completely after he died to pay for our sins by rising from the dead himself, glorious, imperishable, and then rise to heaven where he sits on the throne governing the universe. And this also foreshadows how he will one day raise all of us back to life. This is what Christians believe, friends, that Jesus, when he returns, will raise the dead. Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to inherit eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment." Sooner or later, we're all going to rise. This foreshadows that. Only Jesus can raise the dead. Only Jesus can reverse death. Now, this also foreshadows how Jesus will reunite loved ones. Jesus gives the girl back to her father. 
Only Jesus is able to reunite us with our loved ones who died believing in him forever. Only Jesus can give children back to their parents and parents back to their children. And on All Saints Day, this is what we remember. That those loved ones that we've said goodbye to in the past year, that they are safe in heaven with Jesus. And one day soon, we will be reunited with them, never to be separated again. And then one day when Christ returns, he will raise all the dead. He will give his people glorious, imperishable bodies. And we will live with him in a new heaven and a new earth where there is no death, no disease, no sickness, no sorrow, no pain anymore. And in truth, friends, we live in a world where everything else is failing. Nothing is working. Nothing is working to reverse death. We might be able to slow it down, but we can't stop it. We've never been able to stop left, death and prolong life inevitably. Uh, we've never been able to stop disease, no matter how much we scramble in research. We've never been able to do anything that can keep people united forever. We can't even come up with anything that will unite people around a common cause. Only Jesus has overcome death. Only Jesus provides a safe place in heaven to uh, catch our loved ones and save them for our reunion. Only Jesus will save this planet from everything that's destroying it and unite all people in him. Only Jesus. Everything is failing and will fail, but Jesus will never fail. So friends, it is essential that we have the courage and the confidence and the humility to be able to say to our people that we care about whose lives are falling apart, have you ever tried Jesus? He's been a lifesaver for me. Or maybe you should try Jesus. You could always try Jesus. And that we do it ourselves, that we never forget in our desperation that we can turn to him. Now, let me just give four ways that you could try Jesus if you're in a hot spot right now and you don't know what to do. Number one, you could try applying his teachings. We looked at the Sermon on the Mount in great detail this last summer, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. If you're in a situation now and you don't know what to do, go reread Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I promise you that you will read something in there that'll give you a step to take to reframe your situation or your approach to what you're going through. I guarantee it. It may be something hard that Jesus is calling you to do. Because following Jesus is the hard road, but it's the one that leads to life. Try applying his teachings. Number two is try asking for his wisdom. Yes, you can ask him to give you wisdom through his spirit, and he will do it. It says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If anyone is lacking wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. Ask him to show you through his spirit, give you an insight what to do. Number three, you can try Jesus by asking for his intervention. Maybe like you don't want him to tell you what to do. You just need him to intervene. You need him to jump in because it's really that bad. Lord Jesus, you take the wheel. I don't know what to do. I'm just asking you to jump in. That's a great idea, actually, in almost every situation. And fourth and finally, this is my favorite and that is try complete and utter surrender. When all else fails, say, Jesus, I just give myself, my mind, my opinions, all to you. I place myself at your feet. I will do whatever you tell me. Whatever you want, I am yours. Your will be done. 
When all else fails, try Jesus and encourage others too as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you are always with us and you're always inviting us to reach out to you for strength, encouragement, help, intervention. Help us to build our lives utterly and completely on you. And now, with the confidence of forgiven children of God, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.